And if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hosea, and we will be in chapter number 11 tonight, the book of Hosea, chapter number 11. F.W. Faber, I think, was right when he wrote this line. He said, there is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than in heaven. There's no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than in heaven. And when we look at this passage tonight, what you're going to hear, you're going to hear the heart of a sorrowful God, a God who feels sorry for his people, a God who's in a dilemma. His people have turned his back, their backs on him. They're, they're living in apostasy. They're worshiping pagan gods. They're, they're sacrificing their children to idols. Uh, they're engaged in all sorts of sexual perversions and, 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 perverted worship, uh, they profaned his temple with a golden calf. I mean, they've done everything wrong. And a just God has to punish that wrong. But it's not God's heart to, to harm his people. It's not God's heart to get revenge. It's God's heart to redeem his people. And that's what we're going to see when we, we look at this passage. It's his heart to give them uh, a future and a hope. That's, that's his heart for Israel. And, and we've looked, we've dug through all the doom and gloom, and now as we come to these last four chapters, we're actually going to see this hope uh, that Israel has uh, because of what a loving God the Lord is. Look at, look at chapter number 11 and look down at verse number 1. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt... I called my son. Now, the meaning of that passage is pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, what's, who's he speaking of? He's speaking, he tells us Israel. When Israel was a child, and when was Israel a child? When they were in Egypt. They, the, the Egypt is almost, was, like, was almost like the womb in which God built that nation. He formed that nation. And then when they were a child, they became a child when he took them out of Egypt and out of bondage and brought them into a relationship with him. And, and so then he repeats that in almost a parallel way. And he says in the last part of the verse, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, like I say, that's pretty, the interpretation of that's uh, pretty obvious. But that verse should ring a bell to you. You heard that verse before? Anywhere else in the Bible? You actually hear it over in Matthew chapter number 2. Go with me over to Matthew chapter number 2. We'll go, we'll go over there and look at it for a second in its context there. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning down, and we'll pick it up in, so we can put it in its context here, and then we'll put it in its context in Hosea chapter 11. But... If you go back to Matthew chapter 2, you remember the wise man had come to visit Jesus. And then they had left. And, and so we pick up in verse number 13. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you a word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and they departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. 
that it might be fulfilled. Now, he was there until the death of Herod, and then they came back into the, into the, into the uh, land of Israel. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, there's one of those uh, uh, proof texts of the inspiration of Scripture, that everything that we're reading here in Hosea was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Hosea, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, who, and when we come to Matthew, there's, it seems to be an entirely different meaning because in Matthew it seems to be saying that out of Egypt I called my son Jesus Christ to come back into the land of Israel to fulfill his destiny or his purpose. And I remember, you know, there's very few scriptures that are quoted in the New Testament that aren't in perfect context. But this is one of those scriptures where it seems to me that Matthew took a lot of liberty taking that scripture and saying the Lord means it for here. He means it for this incident where Jesus Christ came back out of Egypt and into the promised land in order to fulfill his purpose. So out of Egypt, I called my son. And it seems like a totally different context. And, and, that's, and, and I used to think, well, you know, Matthew had that liberty because not only was Hosea speaking by the Holy Spirit, Matthew was speaking by the Holy Spirit too. And if the Lord wants to take a passage out of context, he has the privilege to take it out of context. I can't do that. Whenever I, use, whenever I study scripture, I study in its context, and I emphasize that all the time, that, that you can't get the true meaning of a scripture without studying that scripture in its context. And I was thinking, I've always thought that, boy, you know, this is one of those areas where, you know, it really doesn't, it doesn't work for me because this is taken out of its original context. Because he was talking about... Israel coming out of Egypt and Israel was his son and now he's referring to Jesus Christ in a totally different situation. Well, after studying for this passage, and this is the first time I've ever taught through the book of Hosea, and so this was new to me, but when I came across that verse, I was like, oh, there it is, that verse that God took out of context. But after I studied this, and looked at this, and you look at the entire chapter, and you look at what the Lord's going to teach in the remaining four chapters, this was not taken out of context of all, at all. It's actually in perfect context. It's, there's no doubt it's in perfect context. Because what's the setting of Hosea? What, what's Hosea's name mean? What's it mean? Y'all remember? It means what? No, not Hosea. Hosea simply, Yeshua, which is Yehosea, is, is Jehovah, is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. That's his name. His name, Jesus, means Jehovah is salvation. Hosea simply means salvation. So the whole theme of this book is salvation. Salvation of Israel. That's really what we're looking at here. Now, when you come over to, to Matthew chapter 2 and we look at this, this 
verse that seems to be out of its context, and he's talking about Jesus coming up out of Egypt, who are we thinking that's applicable to? Why does Jesus come up out of Egypt? He comes up out of Egypt to save you and me. And we almost take it to think, to, to take it to mean that uh, his salvation is for the Gentiles. We're Gentiles. But really, what he's saying right here in Matthew is that I called my son out of Egypt. And if you remember, Matthew was that book that was written to the Jews. That's what most people will say. So he called his son out of Egypt to save Israel and to save us too. We're kind of a byproduct of that, of that event. I mean, we're kind of grafted into the tree. But what was his primary purpose when he came to Israel out of Egypt? It was to save the nation of Israel. And that's exactly the context in chapter 11, verse number 1. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And you're going to see that the rest of this, he actually introduces the theme of the rest of the book, which is the salvation of Israel. And so... When we, when we interpret my son as Israel, I think we make a mistake because I think he's talking literally here because we see in chapter 2 of Matthew that it was it, the Lord spoke through the prophet and he's speaking through Matthew here. So literally he's talking about calling Jesus to save the nation of Israel. Now, now in the context of Hosea, what's happening Israel's about to go into captivity. It looks like they're going to almost be utterly destroyed. But God's not going to destroy them. What's his plan for them? His Hosea. His plan for them is Hosea, salvation. That's his plan. Who's, how's that plan going to be implemented? Or who's it going to be implemented through? It's going to be implemented through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to save the world, but... In the immediate sense, he came to save the nation of Israel. He came into his own and his own received him not. And he still, that salvation of Israel still hasn't taken place. The salvation of Israel is taking place right now as that nation is back in the land. And eventually they're going to turn to Jesus Christ and they're going to be saved. The same way you and I are saved. And we look over here at Matthew and we think, thank the Lord that the Lord called his son out of Egypt. You know, I believe Mary and Joseph would have just hung out there the rest of their life because they had all of that frankincense and gold and all those riches and, and things were probably going good for Egypt as a type of the world and things were probably going pretty good for them to end the world somewhere. And then the Lord, I have no doubt, sent an angel because it says the Lord called them out of Egypt and, and sent, sent someone to them to tell them, hey, now you can go back into the land because Herod is dead. And I want you to go back into the land. Because they understood, to some, they didn't understand it, but they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew that he had come to save the world from its sins and to save Israel. So, so in the context Matthew is writing here is exactly the same context as chapter 11, verse number 1. In verse number 2, Going on there, he says, as they, as they, uh, the pagans is what he's speaking of here. As the pagans called them, he, he brought them out of Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt. Israel was a child and he brought them out of Egypt. And, and there's that dual fulfillment of that prophecy right there. 
He brought them out of Egypt, but as soon as they came out of Egypt, the, their pagan gods began to call them back. So they went from them. And really, a better, a literal translation is they went from my face. They left me and they went and served other gods. They sacrificed to Baals and burned incense to carved images. And so uh, God saves them from these pagan gods in Egypt. And as soon as they get to Canaan, they begin serving pagan gods again. And, and uh, it's as, as if they went out of the pan and into the fire. Things got even worse than they were when they were in Egypt. And so at this point, God's about to judge them. He says in verse number three, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. You ever seen a dad take his little kids and grab both arms and teach them to walk? I remember doing that with my boys, all of my boys. And that's what he's speaking of right here. He says, he says in, in verse number three, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. But they did not know that I'd healed them. They didn't understand what I'd done for them. They didn't understand that I'd taken them out of bondage and led them into a relationship with me. How did God teach them to walk? With him. How did he teach them to do that? Well, he gave them the law, didn't he? He gave them the law. He gave them the tabernacle. What's the tabernacle a picture of? It's a picture of God. I mean, the righteousness and the, the Ten Commandments and the, the ever-blooming uh, rod, you know, that spoke of eternal life and the manna which spoke of God's provision and his word. I mean, it was a picture. He was trying to, he was teaching them to walk. And so he gave him that picture. He gave him the law to show what, what his heart was as far as righteousness goes. And he gave, him, he gave him the sacrificial system so that they could be healed, so that they could be healed from their sin. But they didn't even realize that he had healed them. They didn't even care about the healing. And so they went out and they served other gods. And then he goes on in verse number four. He says, I drew them with general cords with the hands of love. And I was, I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. You know, you take a, you know, in those days you'd take an ox and, and you would work him all day. And then you would take him by the reins and lead him back to the barn at the end of the day or to the stall back at the end of the day. And, and you would, you would lead him there. And that was the best part of the day for the oxen because they knew at that point that good things were going to be, about to happen because the yoke was going to be taken off their neck and, and they were going to be given grain. And that's a great picture of exactly what God did for, for uh, the nation of Israel. I mean, he, 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 he saved them from their pagan gods. I mean, he took them out of, he took them out of bondage and, and uh, took the reins of the whole nation and brought them out of Egypt. He took that yoke of bondage off their neck that they had and he fed them. He fed them manna and he fed them uh, he put them in a land flowing with milk, milk and honey, and he fed them with great blessings. And, and all of that was like bands of love and that he was pouring out on the nation, but they refused his love. And so they're about to be, they were about to be sent and destroyed, and uh, the remnant was going to go back into bondage. And then he says in verse number five, he shall not return to the land of Egypt. He's speaking of Israel, will not return to the land of Egypt. You know, it's funny because in chapter eight, if you look back in chapter eight, verse 13, it says they, they will return to the land of Egypt. 
Well, in that, in chapter 8, it's used as, as a type of bondage. But literally, they're not going to return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be their king. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to go into captivity by the, uh, through Assyria because they refuse. Why? Because they refuse to repent. Repent. That's a key word in anyone's salvation. It's a key word in the salvation of any nation. It's a key word of the salvation of any individual. What's the word repent mean? It, mean, it simply means to turn around. That's all you have to do to repent is to turn around. Where were they heading? They were heading off to worship pagan gods. They were heading away from righteousness and, and heading into sin and wickedness. And all they had to do, and the Lord sent them prophets, he sent them wars, he sent them uh, marauders, he sent them all sorts of problems to try to get them to turn, to turn back to him, but they refused to turn. They, they were determined to go after evil. And let me tell you what, God will not force anybody to repent. I always say as a way of getting some people to say, Uncle, he certainly did with me. He has a way of, if you're going to repent and turn, he's got, he's got the tools to make you repent and turn. It's amazing how stubborn some people are. But he, he will get repentance when he wants repentance. You know, I wonder about the United States of America, if, if, if under the right circumstances, if we could see repentance in this land. The scary thing is, you know, there comes a time in a, in a nation when, when it's too, they, they're past repentance. They're not going to repent. Hopefully we're not past that here. But they were past it. They've refused to repent. And if you refuse to, to repent, ultimately you're going to find yourself in bondage and, and you're going to be destroyed. And look down at verse number six. He says, and the sword shall slash his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. We, we've talked about this before. They, they uh, were lining up for themselves prophets who tickled their ears who gave them the counsel that they wanted to hear, their own counsel. What was their own counsel? Peace and prosperity. In other words, Jehovah God, Jehovah was one of the gods they worshiped. Jehovah God and our pagan gods will protect us and they're going to prosper us. And all of these prophets that are preaching doom and gloom, don't listen to them. Uh, happy days are here and they're going to stay here. So don't, so don't worry about it. And Hosea says, no. He says, no, don't listen to their counsel. The sword shall slash in his cities and devour his district. The outskirts of the cities are going to be devoured too and consume them because they refuse to listen to the counsel of the Lord. Look at verse number seven. He says, my people are bent on backsliding from me. That's a cool little biblical term that you you see in the Old Testament on a few occasions. What does it mean to backslide? You ever owned a horse or a, a cow and tried to get them in a trailer? And if they decide they don't want to go in that trailer, they get back on their hind leg and you get them up on the ramp and they just slide all the way back. It's a picture he's given us right here. Some stubborn, a stubborn people who, instead of going forward, as God pulls them with the reins, he wants to lead them. To, to green pastures. He wants to lead them to a place of blessing. But instead of letting the Lord lead them, they're stubborn and they just go, they just slide back further and further and further uh, 
into evil. He says, my people are bent on backsliding. Though they call me the most high, none at all exalt him. Well, that's a problem with a lot of nations and a lot of individuals. I don't even know if it's a problem with a nation. I don't even know of any nation that outwardly exalts the Lord anymore. And that's really sad because at one time our nation did. And in God we trust, we said. We exalted God as almighty God. And there was a time when Israel exalted God as almighty God. But on an individual basis, there are very few people. They'll call on the Lord and they'll call Jesus Lord, but they don't exalt him as Lord. They don't put him in the position of Lord. And I think all of us are guilty of that to some degree. We, we talk about Lord, 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 when, when we're trying to lead the Lord instead of letting the Lord lead us. And so he says, none of, none, they had reached a point where none of them at all exalted the Lord. He was a God and one of their gods, but he wasn't exalted above their pagan gods. He wasn't exalted in their own personal lives. And, and, uh, uh, so they were in this fix they were in. And here they are. They're about to be judged because of all the things God just says here and throughout the first part of this book. And if you left off right here, it would be real easy to think that God was excited about judging the nation. That he was ready to take out his wrath on these Stubborn, backsliding Israelites. It's kind of the picture you get from what you we've heard up until now. And that's why I think the minor prophets are so important. Because you hear the heart of God. You hear the heart of God for a lost nation, especially his own people. But you also hear the heart of God for lost individuals. I think I think. It's really the same thing. Individuals make up a nation. And listen to what he says in verse number eight. He says, how can I give you up, Israel, Ephraim? How can I give you up? I love you too much to give you up. You don't love me. You don't exalt me. But how can I give you up? How can I hand you over to to?" these pagan kings, into this terrible situation you're going into. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? Or, or how can I set you like Zeboim? Those were two little cities on the outskirts of Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed when the fire and brimstone came down on Sodom and Gomorrah. They were just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were the main cities. These were like little suburbs of those cities. And they were totally wiped out. And the Lord says, how can I wipe you out? Like Adma and Zeboim. And now listen to this. My heart churns within me. I'm disturbed. I mean, think about infinite God. Almighty God who is love, who is joy, who is peace. And these people that say God is always happy. I don't think they, they've read these minor prophets because the Lord's not happy here. He's upset here. He's hurt. He says, my heart churns within me. My sympathy, my compassion 
is stirred my compassion for my people, the people that I brought up out of Egypt, the people that begin with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the people that uh, went into Egypt and there I nurtured them and formed them into a nation. I mean, how can I give them up? I mean, my heart churns within. I have compassion for them. Then in verse 9, he says, I'm not going to give them up. I'm not going to give them up. Did that mean he wasn't angry at them anymore? No. Look at verse 9. He says, I will execute. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. God was furious at his people. But God is love. Now we got a dilemma here. A real dilemma. God is just. So he's got to give his people up. But he's not going to give them up because he's love. Well, I'm sure glad he has that dilemma because I, he would have struck me down dead a long time before I got saved. And you too, by the way. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over to your enemies? How can I make you like Sodom and Gomorrah? I, my heart's churning. And so I, I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. They're going to be destroyed now. And I'm not going to totally destroy them now because got to, if I'm not going to destroy them again, that means I'm going to leave a remnant. For I, and how can he do that? Here's how he can do that. For I am God and not man. We don't have the ability to take care of one another's sins. I can't fix John's sins. I can't fix Ron's sins. I mean, man, who would even try? I'm joking. I can't we can't fix one another's sins. Something's got to happen here for God to be just and also love. For I, here's how he can do it. For I am God and not man. The Holy One is in your midst. Now, he's talking about his, he's just. I'm a just God. I'm not like men. I, I demand absolute perfection, perfect righteousness. That's what I demand. And yet, I will not come with terror. I mean, Israel was anything but righteous. And, yet, and God says, I will not come with terror. He was, he's angry with them. But you got to say, I mean, how could he refrain from utterly destroying them? Because he says every single one of them had gone this way. None of them exalted God. There was none righteous. No, not one. Every single one of them had broken his commandments. And if he was just, and he says, I'm a holy God, and that means I'm just, and without holiness you will not see God, then it seems to me that he, if he's just and he's holy, then he has to utterly destroy the nation at this point. That's really when I look at our nation right now, I, I mean, if, if he's just and holy, man, he, he, he's, he, needs, he needs to do something about all this unrighteousness in this land. We really as a nation ought to be destroyed. We deserve it. 
But he didn't. And he wasn't. Because he is God and not a man. And even though he is holy and perfectly righteous, and they were a perfectly unrighteous people, he's not, he says, I'm not going to come with them with terror or utter destruction is what he's talking about that. How could he do that? How's he going to fix all of that? How's he going to reconcile all of that? Matthew chapter 2. Hosea, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt, I called my son. God had a plan way back here in Hosea. Same plan he spoke of in Matthew. And that's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 3 that God sent his son as a propitiation by his blood. What? And I am God and not man, he says in this passage. So it's the blood of God that saved Israel. It's the blood of God that saves us. And that's why Paul says that he might demonstrate to us at this present time, from Romans chapter 3, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's why Israel still hasn't been saved yet. They haven't been utterly destroyed yet. But they still haven't been saved yet. Because God is still just. And Israel is still unjust. But one day they're going to have faith in Jesus Christ. And they're going to be justified just like you and I are justified. And that's why God didn't utterly destroy them at this point. Because out of Egypt, he called his son, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he saved Israel. And he saved all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Israel that he gave his only begotten son. But they haven't turned to God yet. They haven't turned to God yet. But there's coming a time when they will. But some, an event's going to take place first before they're going to turn to the Lord. The first event that's going to take place is the line of Judah is going to roar. And Israel's going to come back into that land. By the way, that's already happening. It's happened and it's happening now. Look at the next verse. They, there's coming a time when they will walk after the Lord. Jesus, Yeshua, the Lion of Judah, will roar like a lion. And when he roars, then his sons will come trembling from the west. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the sons of Israel right there. Verse number 11, they shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria, really from all over the world. And I will let them dwell in their houses. And that's exactly what's happening today. Now, some people don't believe that's a... Biblical fulfillment, but I don't see how you can not see that. And there's going to come a time when there are, they're, going to, they're going to have, the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to wreak havoc on them. And when's that going to happen? That's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble. After you and I are raptured out of here. 
because Jesus brought, I mean, because God brought his son out of Egypt. But because God brought his son out of Egypt, he also came to save Israel. And at the end of the great tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to not come out of Egypt. Where's he going to come out of? He's going to come out of heaven. He's going to come out of heaven and his feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives and they're going to split in two. And the Spirit of God is going to come upon the people of Israel. It's the only way they can see it. The Spirit of God at that point is going to come upon them and they're going to look on him whom they have pierced and they're going to weep as a mother weeps for her only son. That's when it's all going to, that's when it's all going to transpire. And then in verse 12, we'll catch that next week because that's a totally different subject where he goes back to talking about uh, why he's angry with them and why they're about to be destroyed, but not utterly destroyed. Man, I don't know about you, but that's some really good news to me. That's some, that's some really good news to me. I mean, that's news we take for granted. When you read that in Matthew, out of Egypt I will call my son. And thank goodness it wasn't left up to Mary and Joseph. Don't tell them where they would have gone with all that money loot they had. Uh, God brought them back into that land for that plan that he prepared before the foundation of the world. A plan where he would be just, and the justifier of those who believe in him. And I believe in him, and so I'm saved, and one day Israel's going to believe in him, and that's why Paul could say in, what is it, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, all of Israel will be saved. At one point, they will all be saved. That whole nation will be saved. But it won't come until after the Great Tribulation. So, you know, if you make any plans to go over to Israel and become a missionary, that's tough Tough. I mean, that's a great thing to do, but that's, you, they're blinded at this point. It would be tough to, to save any of them. Thank goodness God saved us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for, for your grace. Lord, we, we were just as big of backsliders, just as stubborn and just as evil as these Israelites. Lord, until you came along and you saved us. You saved us, Lord, uh, by your mercy and your grace and your love. We did nothing to get saved but believe, to believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for him. We thank you for the plan you laid before the foundation of the world. We thank you for the grace that we have in, this, in him, the salvation we have in him. And we look forward to your return and the salvation of Israel. We just thank you for all those things through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen.